When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello and welcome to How To Money, a financial education podcast for young Australians aimed at opening up the conversation around money. In each episode, your host, Kate Campbell, brings in a variety of guests to explore everything from buying shares to starting your own business, all with the aim of kickstarting your personal finance journey. Just a quick reminder that everything we cover in this podcast is for financial education purposes only, and we are not giving you any advice. If you do want advice, please seek the help of a qualified and competent professional and do some research. Remember, it's your money, so take control. Sharon, thank you so much for joining me on the How To Money podcast today. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Kate. I am excited to be here. Now, you are a not boring accountant. (laughs) I portray myself as a not boring accountant, but whether other people say the same thing, who knows? (laughs) Yeah, we've got to break the stereotype. I don't know if everyone has this stereotype, but I definitely had the stereotype that accountants are boring and my family didn't help that stereotype. They reinforced that for me, given my father's an accountant. But um, yeah, no, I think probably that stereotype scares people off talking to accountants and dealing with the numbers of businesses and things like that. Absolutely. And it's one of the big things that a lot of our clients, when they first come to us, they are scared of the numbers. So we are trying to make it that it's it's not a scary topic and they need to embrace the numbers. So yeah, hence we don't want to be scary. Yeah. And before we jump into today's, I'm essentially framing it as like a small business side hustle, entrepreneur sort of crash course of things that people should maybe start thinking about more if they're interested in taking maybe a non-conventional path. Are you able to introduce sort of what you do, your business, all of that fun number stuff? Yeah, totally. So I'm Sharon, obviously, from Microchili, which is my business. And we are a bookkeeping and advisory practice. We typically specialize with those that are the entrepreneurial small business. And the reason that we do that is because a lot of these entrepreneurs have a skill set and they don't realize that all the other stuff that goes along with running a business. So we specifically help them with the things they need to look out for when they decide to go down this path. So things like whether they need an ABN and a GST number, et cetera. So that's typically what we do and who we help. So primarily we are a low cost remote bookkeeping service so that just starting out can afford our services. Yeah. Awesome. And I think it's really interesting because if we go from working in corporate where there's HR to deal with hiring and firing employees. And there's a tech team to do with all the tech issues. There's marketing team, there's an operations officer, there's a finance team. And then suddenly, if you want to do it yourself, at the very beginning, you're all of those people. 
Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? That is the big thing. Like when you go into business, you don't realize when you work in corporate, like you said, you've got all of those different functions that do everything for you. So like you said, you know, for myself as a bookkeeper, I never even thought about the sales and the marketing and what those guys do to support the process. And I think when you go into business, it's like, well, I just want to, I don't know, make cuts, for instance, or whatever it is that you're amazingly good at. And then how do you get people to see those cups? And, you know, how do I price my product? And there's a whole heap of stuff that you just don't even think of. It's a journey, that's for sure, and a learning curve. Yeah. So if I say I've got my great idea that I want to make these beautiful ceramic cups, I'm an expert at making them, but that's kind of as far as it goes. Where would you even start about trying to figure out how to monetize it and turn it into a business? Do you know what? That's exactly right. It's for a product-based business that it's a little bit easier because, you know, as a, as a first port of call, you need to make sure that you've incorporated every single element of pricing that it takes to make those beautiful ceramic cups. So whatever materials that you need, your raw materials in order to do that, you would price all of that out and make sure you incorporate everything. But the biggest thing then is to make sure that you're incorporating your time in making that as well because so many business owners when they first go into business they're like well it's costing me ten dollars to buy the materials in to make this cup and so I'm going to charge out like twelve dollars or whatever it is whatever you want your profit margin to be and what they don't do is take into account all of the overheads that are surrounding making that product so things like your rent and your utilities and your own time, all of that needs to be factored in to price your product as well. So, and I think the other thing as well that's super important when you're pricing your products is that you remove the emotion from it, that you don't look at it and say, oh, well, clients or customers are never going to pay that because if you follow the formula, people will pay it. And if they won't pay it, they're not your ideal client at the end of the day. So yeah, definitely remove the emotion when you're pricing, have a formula that you've got, which includes all of your prices. Um, of your raw materials, and then make sure you incorporate your time into it as well, because it's super important that you pay yourself first. That's what you've gone into business for. So, Yeah, I can imagine that must be a bit hard to remove the emotion because when you're just starting out by yourself trying to price your product or your service, it very much feels like it's a reflection of you and your value, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the problem is that when you're in corporate, nothing is personal because it's someone else's business. So you don't really care what people think. Whereas when it becomes your own baby, because you're so passionate about it and because you're so, you think everybody is going to feel the same as what you do, but don't want to pay for it. So yeah, absolutely. It's very difficult not to take it as a personal attack on your product that, you know, either your product's not good enough or you're not good enough. And then you've got the whole self-worth thing that comes into that as well. So yeah, do you know what? It's, you know, when you start a business, there's a whole heap of personal and professional development that kind of comes along with it on the road. So yeah, yeah, it is so personal. And what about if thinking back way back to high school, when you had to sort of come up with a business idea, they always talked about creating a business plan and creating a budget and like forecasting how much money you're going to make. And it was very easy on paper to go, oh, I'm going to be a millionaire by the end of the year. This business is going to go crazy. But in reality, how would you go about approaching all these things or are some not as relevant as others? Yeah, definitely. So in the first instance on that basis, because there is nothing wrong with having a dream of owning a million dollar business. And I know that when you kind of say it as a million dollar business, it kind of sounds out of reach and far-fetched. But the reality is if you 
set yourself up with a budget and a forecast tool in order to put down what your goals and aspirations are. Maybe you're going to give yourself, we're not talking about being a millionaire in the next six months, but if you give yourself a three to five year plan and you start putting your budgets and forecasts together with where you want to be and break it down into manageable bite-sized chunks, um, that is definitely the first place that I would start. What you need to do is kind of, it's not a set and forget exercise. So have your first three months, your six months, your 12 months, and then the next five years and monitor and check with what your forecast is saying is what your actuals are saying. And if your actuals don't reflect your forecast, then you need to change direction and you need to work out, well, why isn't it reflecting what my forecast said? And are my sales prices too low? Are how do I get my products out to more people in order that I can reach my goals? So, and in order to do that, you have to manage your finances. It's not something that needs, that can be left to the back burner at the end of the day. So. Mm. I don't know if for many of your clients, because you're dealing with a lot of small business owners, I can imagine if they're very creative, like the product and the service bit they love doing, but they kind of like, oh, do I have to deal with the financial side of things? Correct. Correct. So, um, yeah. I'm very bossy. So now, <laughs> so and um, because we make the numbers fun, it's it doesn't become so much of a chore for them to do. And I think I think the way that we have set up our forecast templates, it becomes a very plug and play putting your numbers in. So for instance, there was I've had a couple of clients that have come to me and they'll come to me and say, right, this is what I'm going to charge as a retainer on a monthly basis. And you know, let's just say for argument's sake, it's $1,500 for the retainer. And in their head straight away, they're like, my clients will never pay $1,500 firstly. And then secondly, it's like, well, how many hours are you going to put in to make that $1,500? And all of a sudden it's like, well, that's going to be 10 hours a week. Well, 10 hours a week is like 40 hours a month and you're only charging $1,500. So you break that down and reverse engineer it. And all of a sudden you're only making $37 or whatever it is an hour. And it's like, well, all of a sudden that $1,500 is kind of not so cheap. If your clients Mm. are like $1,500 for 40 hours a month is amazing. So you kind of need to work out for a start, how long is it going to take you? And as much as I'm an advocate of value-based fees rather than fixed fees, you've got to have a starting point. So if you're going to be working 40 hours a month for a client, your fees have got to reflect that 40 hours a month. So. But yeah. Yeah, it must be interesting how many small business owners that end up forgetting to value their own time and they end up getting paid a lot less than they would have been paid in their corporate job beforehand. Correct. But then this all goes down to, and I've I've kind of done a few articles about this, self-worth. 100% this is where self-worth comes into it. I'm removing the emotion and all the rest of it and understanding the value that you're providing to your clients. As much as it's funny because I tell my clients this all the time and I'm very bossy and firm with them that don't accept anything less if they don't want to pay it. And then I'm in the background doing totally the opposite. So we all face this thing that they are your prices. And I think you've just got to get to a point as much as what I said in the first place, remove the emotion from it at the end of the day. And you'd be amazed. You'd be amazed at the clients that come back. And if they see the value that you're providing, it won't be an issue. Mm. And if you're struggling trying to price yourself at a higher price point, would you suggest like having that account in your back corner or having some sort of advisory committee of friends and family who are going to go, ah, no, you're not discounting that 50%? (laughs) 100%. It's amazing the confidence that you gain 
if you've got people in your corner, the same as my clients with me in their ear, the fear of coming back to me and telling me that they've under undercharged then actually say into the client, well, this is what my fee is going to be. And the amazing feeling when they actually come back and say, well, I didn't want to charge it, but this is what I've sent my proposal out. And guess what? They've come back and said yes. Well, we knew they'd say yes. And what they might do initially, they might come back and say, oh, do you know what? That's really expensive. I don't want to pay that. But then what happens is they think about it and then they come back and they, and they change their mind. So again, it's not to take that first instance when they come back to you and say, no, I, it's too expensive. Stand your ground at that point. Do not say, oh, well, I'll discount it or I'll do this for you or I'll do that for you. Um, stand your ground because honestly, nine times out of 10, they'll think about it and they'll come back and they'll accept it. And again, it comes back to knowing your value and your worth. Mm. And there's the pricing in your time, but there's also pricing in all of those other costs and expenses that come in with running a business, including thinking about paying tax. And all those fun things that we might not think about up front. So what are some of the like the big costs of I know it really I'm sure it depends on every single business, but some costs and expenses to be aware of before uh, going down this path? Definitely. I mean, one of the first things that I'd say, particularly if you're kind of starting from your bedroom or whatever, where your overheads are relatively low, I would kind of look at it as a long-term strategy because you might be starting in your bedroom now, but in six months or 12 months, you might be in um, rental space. So I would factor that in from the get-go. And going back to what you said about having your price point that maybe you're expensive, but what you've got to look at is the product and the value that you're creating for that expense is worth it. And maybe your target market is the elite. So, uh, and maybe you're tailoring a product that nobody else is going to have. So when you kind of do your marketing, it's kind of all about, well, nobody else is going to have this ceramic cup or this piece of jewelry that is tailor-made exactly for you. And people will pay a a price point for that, that nobody else is ever going to have that. So know your audience, know what their price point is. So for instance, if you're going to have something, I don't know, say you're going to have a piece of jewelry that you sell at $10,000. Now I, I know that I'm being facetious in saying this, but that $10,000, you're not going to market to somebody that is never going to be able to afford $10,000 because that would just be silly. So you're going to find your clients that are willing to pay that $10,000. So it's knowing where your audience and reflective of the time and the value and the expertise that goes into what you're making. Mm, And it sounds like it's probably part of that business planning and working out who you're targeting. Correct. And that's, do you know what, that's one of the first things that I'd say it is fundamental before you even launch your business that you know who you're selling to. And some, and I was guilty of this. So before I started MicroChili, there was two businesses before that where everything was in my head. And what everyone said, know who your audience is, who do you want to sell to? And it's like, that bit's all a bit hard. So it's kind of like, oh, I don't really need to do that. It's let's just launch the business and see what happens. But I can guarantee you, if you haven't worked out, who you're going to sell to, it would be very difficult to do your pricing and your price points. And yeah, so fundamental, you've got to do the foundational work first that is hard, but so worth it. 
Mm, and I think that ties into even how you spend money and approach marketing, because if you don't know that target audience, you could waste a lot of money, whether that's going to the wrong market or the wrong using the wrong Google ads, uh, because you're just targeting the wrong audience. Yeah, 100%. It's so important that you work that out first and work out what your clients' pain points are and what they're willing to pay at the end of the day. But you definitely have to do that research before you even start all of that. So yeah, absolutely. Do you have any suggestions or things that will work for your clients of like cost-effective marketing for people who have just got that very initial idea and they maybe want to test if anyone wants to pay for it? Yeah, definitely. So for me, when I first started, you know, a good testing point is, uh, you know, for instance, I use Instagram a lot. Mm. Now you can tell when you start using these platforms, whether people are resonating and responding to it. There's also maybe things like Facebook groups, for instance, that, you know, where your target audience sits, you know, maybe just put a poll up and ask people what it is exactly that they're looking for. So this is all stuff that is free at the end of the day, but what it does take is a little bit of time and effort. So I think, you know, if cash is is minimal in the first instance, which when we first start out, it definitely is. I find that there's either you've got a time that you need to invest or financially you need to invest. It's one or the other. So if we're going down the time road, it's kind of nurturing those relationships as well is what I would say. Don't expect that when you do start your marketing, you're going to start it this week and by next week, you're going to have a whole heap of clients come knocking on your door because while we would all love that to happen. Realistically, it isn't going to happen. So I would give yourself a six to 12 month plan really that don't expect anything back from your marketing efforts until maybe year two, because otherwise I think you become disillusioned that a month down the line, this still isn't working. People are not buying from me, but what they might be doing is kind of you're at the forefront of their mind because you're you're constantly posting, constantly adding value. So the big thing is adding value. When you're marketing and you're doing it on a budget, add value wherever you can. Create as much free content that people will appreciate and resonate with. And you can also tell then that your message is resonating with people. So yeah. So it's all about the value. It's all about the value at the end of the day. Yeah. And I guess that's one way you can stand out in a world of uh, sponsored posts and Google ads if you don't have money for that, because it is quite expensive and get started and see if actually anyone's interested at all, or you maybe need to refine that audience or the product service a little bit more. A hundred percent. Yeah. It's just all, I definitely would not recommend spending money until you've tested your audience on a free version first, which I get is tiresome and time consuming when you first start out, but it's definitely the way to go. Mm. And another thing that I guess people have to think about if they want to start a small business is all of that software involved, because most of us are not exchanging cash anymore, which you you might've done in the past. We're having to sort of sell that product or service through some manner of online platform. Yeah, correct. So tech is something that I'm a big believer in. You know, at the end of the day, especially if you're, like you said, you're selling online and and so tech is something that you need to invest in. And luckily there are so many cost-effective, cheap options really at the end of the day. So if you're a product-based business, for instance, you know, there's so many channels like, I don't know, Etsy or Shopify and and kind of all, all of the different online e-commerce platforms, I guess, is, you know, definitely worthwhile exploring. And it's also, you think if you can sell online of the overheads that you're saving in, you know, a bricks and mortar space. So yeah, I highly, highly recommend investing in tech. 
And the other thing that I would recommend if you're going to invest in tech and and to get your brand online is it's not just the retail platforms, but it's also things like your accounting software and making sure that you've got tech set up for that as well. Project management systems that you know exactly where you are so things don't fall through the cracks. And yeah, these are definitely platforms I'd recommend. For accounting software, you know, I would recommend either QuickBooks, Zero, or Myob. Probably not so much Myob for the smaller businesses, but definitely Zero or QuickBooks. And then, you know, if you are going to be taking staff on, I would recommend taking, um, looking at a rostering tool. So things like Deputy or Bright HR are just two of them. And, you know, on that basis, then you can check your staff levels on a real-time basis. But, you know, that's as you start going further down the track. But there are so many tech platforms that that you can invest in from the get-go and make your life easier at the end of the day and streamline. Because what you want to try and do is streamline your processes as much as you possibly can. Mm, and I guess some of these tech problems, could, uh, sorry, not problems, uh, tech solutions can really save you from having to hire too many additional people because you've got a system that could do rostering and you can talk directly with your bookkeeper accounting with zero. Absolutely. And there is the great thing about the tech platforms now is a lot of them integrate and talk to each other. So the retail and the point of sales platforms, for instance, that even if they don't directly talk to each other, there's a platform called Zapier or Zapier. I'm not actually sure how you pronounce it. But what that tool does is integrate two tech platforms together that when you process and put information into one platform, it then automatically flows through to the second platform. So exactly like you said, the admin time that this eliminates is huge. So which goes back to your pricing and when you're kind of working out your pricing, I would still keep your pricing at the same as what you would if you had to kind of employ all these people because, you know, at the end of the day, because you're streamlining, that just means that you're efficient in your processes, if that Mm. makes sense. And then that just means that you've got greater margins. So rather than thinking, oh my God, I don't want my margins too high because you're uncomfortable with that, streamline as much as you can and have a high margin because ultimately that's what you've gone into business for. And that's how you're going to achieve your million dollar business at the end of the day. Mm. And as you start thinking maybe a little bit longer term, so you've kind of moved on from side hustle in the bedroom to potentially you need to have an employee or two, or maybe you've got some contractors and freelancers. How do you manage that when you're sort of just trying to make ends meet on the business itself? Correct. Exactly right. So this goes back to what we mentioned at the beginning with making sure that you've got your forecast set up and monitored. It is so important that you don't just look at your P&L or the cash that's in the bank and make a decision on that alone. Because for instance, you might look at your bank and you might be awash with cash right now, but then you've got creditor obligations like a month or two months down the line. So your forecast is fundamental in order for you to make these decisions. So you know, by the time you've updated all of your actuals and you can see, right, well, this is the amount that we've got in our bank at the moment. This is what our PL is telling us that we've made. The other tool you need, to, or the other report, sorry, that you need to look at in your financials is your balance sheet. So or the three reports together, so your profit and loss, your balance sheet, and your forecasting tool, when you kind of don't look at those in isolation, this will help you make your informed decisions, as in, I can comfortably afford to take an employee on the long term. Because what you don't want to do is say, 
well, actually, I can afford an employee for the next two to three months, but then things start to slow down. And then it gets difficult because you're talking about people's lives here. It's So don't make a decision on a whim and make sure that you've got fully informed data that you can make these decisions on, definitely. Yeah, it's definitely a bit more than a, a gut feel decision having to look at those statements. Definitely. And it is. So many people look at their profit and loss and they're like, oh my God, I'm doing amazing. And it's like they don't take into account especially if their accounting system is not up to date. They don't realize that, oh, we've got, I don't know, $50,000 in the bank today, but actually we owe $49,000 in the next month. So you're never going to make a good business decision on that unless you can foresee that happening. Mm, and I guess the other interesting part, apart from the the costs involved with hiring employees, that time in training and um, managing them, that you, you actually have to factor that in as well, don't you? You absolutely do because, like you said, you, you need to factor in the learning curve and the internal time that becomes non-billable, you know, particularly if you're a service client, you know, for instance, for us in the bookkeeping space, not all of our time, once we start taking staff on, not all of that time is going to be billable to the client. Mm-hmm. And so you definitely need to factor in that really you've got a six month learning curve where things are going to be a lot slower and yeah. So don't get frustrated by that. You need to factor that in and, and allow that as part of the normal process. But after that time frame and the learning curve, then that's when things should start to get better in theory. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess that's tougher for small businesses because I guess in big corporates, I mean, where I've worked in the past, they've got enough time and enough staff to kind of give you that six months. But if a small business, it's just like that first or second employee hire, it must be tough having to kind of be patient enough to wait all that out before they can potentially be as valuable for the business. Correct. It is. It's, um, and again, it's back to the whole, when we talked about this with your marketing, when you're doing your marketing, it's this whole instant gratification thing with people as well, that you expect somebody to start on day one and by day five, that they've learned all of your processes. And do you know what? Ultimately you could, and, and as long as you systemize your processes. So, you know, if you've got all of your documents and processes and procedures and everything, you know, nailed, then, you know, potentially that learning curve is going to be much slower because if they can follow all of these processes, then you're systemizing your business, which means that somebody could, if that staff member left today and somebody else came in tomorrow, that they could just take over, which is something that I would highly recommend that you do systemize as much as you possibly can without it becoming like a McDonald's at the end of the day, depending on your business, you might want a McDonald's standardization, you know, for for microchili, our model is a little bit like that, because we're very low cost, high volume. So therefore, you know, our model is very standardized, while whilst trying to offer a tailored solution as well to our clients. So it's, it's kind of just working out and getting that in between, I think that is effective, is cost effective for your business and enables you to make the margins that you want to make. So yeah, and I can imagine as a, a founder or a small business owner, there's a lot of hard decisions you have to make along the track and whether that's who to hire or yeah. maybe you have to make someone redundant. Do you have any suggestions for maybe help improving your decision-making process as a small business owner? Yeah, definitely. And, and again, when you go into business, nobody tells you you need to do all this stuff, do they? It's kind of like, I'm just going to make my cup and that's it. So, but yeah, it is. And I think... As a first point of call, so let's start with the employees that you've taken on the staff and it's not working out and all the rest of it. The one thing that I would say is 
deal with it as it happens and don't let it fester because ultimately this is your business and the decisions that you make affect your business. So it's kind of your reputation. So you've got to deal with these conversations that are difficult, I think. So, but it's again, remove the emotion. Do you know what I mean? Don't make this these decisions on an emotional whim either and make sure that write things down, document things, have everything kind of written out as a factual thing rather than an emotional thing. And I mean, potentially sometimes as well, you know, still talking about employees, sometimes as well, it's your responsibility. So it's no good saying, oh, well, this staff member isn't performing as I as I wanted, you know, they're not doing X, Y, and Z. But have you got the processes in place in order for them to do that? Have you offered them the support and the training in order that they can fulfill the obligations that you're expecting them to fulfill? Have you specifically laid out what you want them to do rather than, you know, just because in your head, you know what you want them to do, just expecting them to know that this is what they need to do. So I think before you make any of these decisions and hard decisions, maybe you need to look at yourself first and make sure that you've done everything in your power to give that employee or or whatever it is in terms of the decisions that you're making have you given it your all to make that process as you want it to be so yeah and I can imagine like as we I mentioned at the start the founder or start of the small business is doing everything and um, when all those decisions like an underperforming staff member or potentially a sale didn't go through I mean ultimately that all comes back to you and I know they talk about it a lot with the US tech companies, the idea of founder burnout. Do you see that happening in Australia? And like, if so, what do you do about it? 100%. I mean, in, in terms of founder burnout, it's because when we first start in business, we take on everything. It's kind of like there's no money for a start. So it's kind of like you think that you've got to do the bookkeeping, the sales, the marketing and everything else. And then there is literally just no time for you whatsoever. So, and I think that I've struggled with this in my own business without a shadow of a doubt, but I think that your physical and mental health comes first. So at this point, outsourcing 100% is where you need to think about outsourcing so that you can focus on doing the stuff that you love as much as any, as much as anything. And I think that when you're, you first go into business, all you can see is the financial element. Well, I'm not making much money. It's really difficult. So just outsource a little bit at a time. When, like I said, for, for a lot of entrepreneurs now that are going into business, you know, for us as a bookkeeping practice, we serve small entrepreneurs. So therefore, our cost is low for these people so that they can afford it and they can concentrate on what they're doing. So, And it's not just us that are doing it. There's a lot of legal firms that are doing the same where they're kind of just setting up for small business owners. So therefore their prices are reduced. So HR, all of those things, the things that are not your expertise and take three times as long for you to do as what they would an expert, I would highly recommend that, you know, you you start outsourcing as soon as you possibly can. So yeah. And I think the other thing as well is knowing when to switch off because it's very difficult, especially if you're home-based, to you know, you can start working 24 seven. So it's knowing that you can just shut the door and learn to spend, to switch off from the business and start spending time with your family and and doing the stuff that you love. The work-life balance is so important. And, you know, it was one of our core values when we set up MicroChili and, and going back to in the first place with your business plan and all the rest of it, work out your core values and, and what is important to you in your business and what you're, what you're trying to achieve. But 
Burnout is a massive thing and, and I would highly recommend outsource as soon as you possibly can. It alleviates a lot of that mental and physical fatigue at the end of the day. Mm. It's sad when when I read articles about founders that are having really tough time because they just have taken on so much for so long and especially COVID and working from home hasn't really helped any of that for people. Uh, I think it's even just good if you are thinking about starting a business, like how can you structure time for yourself into that schedule and it doesn't, your life doesn't become 24-7 that business because most of people starting a business are doing it because either they really love doing something or they want more work-life balance and uh, sometimes it doesn't always go that way. No, definitely. And, and I think, do you know what? The other thing as well I would say is that a lot of us work all day doing not very much. Do you get what I mean? So it's, it's kind of like, you know, sometimes you can be sat there thinking that you're being productive and you're actually not. And then at the end of the day, you're like, I'm not actually sure what I've achieved here. So, so the one, the other thing that I would say is, you know, time blocking is, another thing is key. So, so maybe say, well, I'm going to do three hours solid on a particular task. And, and once you finish that task, give yourself a reward for completing that task, whether it's going out for a walk, whether it's spending time with the kids, whether it's going to get a coffee, whatever it is. And I think then you'll find that if you kind of do that deep work for a couple of hours and give yourself certain 10 minutes, half an hour off, whatever it is that works for you in your business, that you start becoming more productive, that at the end of the day, you're able to shut that door and just switch off from it because, but it's hard as a business owner, it's hard. It's, I think you have to start saying to yourself that you just need to train yourself to switch off, which is easier said than done. I could work 24 seven. I've got to be honest. It's, um, I'm actually going on holiday and I'm already in a couple of weeks and I'm already starting to sweat that I've promised to the family. There's no emails. There's, there's no nothing. And it's, Oh, I'm already getting antsy. About oh, well, it, yeah. No. So it's an ongoing challenge. It it's doesn't, an ongoing challenge. it might become a bit easier to manage, but it still, still stays Correct. over you. Correct. Exactly right. Exactly. Right. And, and Sharon, before we wrap up today's conversation, I was wondering if there's any other suggestions um, you wanted to leave my listeners with if they are thinking of starting a business to so just build one that's healthy for the business, for their employees, and I guess for them as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, so one of the first things I would say to your listeners, if they are like from the get go and they are literally just starting out now, before you do anything else, make sure that you split out your personal and business banking. It's a big, big thing that we're finding with particularly businesses that are setting up as sole traders and side hustles that it doesn't really matter whether their receipts are mixed in with their personal bank or not. But what this does is creates overwhelm later on when you're trying to reconcile all of your stuff that you've got to sift between personal and business receipts. So from the get-go, I would definitely look at a business bank account. Look at things on it like fees. What are the fees? Because ideally, you want one with zero fees. Um, so definitely something I would look at ongoing basis. And then your budgeting and forecasting definitely get that set up as well so that you can work out what your long-term goals and aspirations are. And when you're doing your pricing, like I said, formula and take your emotion out of it. They are the three key things that I would say if you're setting up in business. We've also got a couple of resources on our website, which by all means, your listeners are welcome to go in and download. We've got things like a Kickstarter guide to setting up your business. So how to register for an ABN, how to register for GST, all the basic things that you need to launch your business. So yeah, go in and have a look and, and download what you need. And there's also a cash flow forecast on there as well. 
Wonderful. Well, I think that's that's fantastic, Sharon. And it's great that you've got all these free resources, as you mentioned, providing value so listeners can get started. And people can also get in touch with you via that same website if they're interested in bookkeeping as well. Yes, they can. They can. Which is, oh, did you oh, want, do you want yeah, to say it? <laughs> yeah. And the website address is www.microchili.com.au. And there's a resources section on there. So, yeah. Wonderful. Well, I'll include that link in the show notes as well. And Sharon, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Kate. It has been a blast. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the How To Money podcast. If you enjoyed this, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and send any questions our way via www.howtomoney.online. You can also catch us on Twitter and Instagram at howtomoneyaus, and we'd love to hear from you. You've been listening to the How To Money podcast.